It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Surf Splendor. Today we're bringing you the fourth and final installment of The Shaper Shack. I collected conversations with a dozen of Australia's finest shapers at the Sydney Surf Pro at Manly Beach back in March of 2019, and today I am presenting the final four of those chats. Today's show is also made possible by realwatersports.com. For any and all of your surfing needs, surfboards by AJW, Pizel, Christensen, Ryan Sagel, Roger Hines, Maurice Cole, Pat Rawson, Lost Surfboards, and much, much more. Maybe you've been curious about foiling. They also have rigs and gear to get you started there. They have a full array of kiteboarding gear, anything you need for your water sport of choice, and they also have low flat shipping rates for boards and bigger items. They also offer a 100% guarantee that whatever you purchase will show up unblemished. So Real has brought the ease of online shopping and shipping to surfboards. Great partners of the show, realwatersports.com. Hope that you enjoy that and enjoy today's show, the final chapter of the Shaper Shack. The four shapers that we interviewed in today's show are Shima Buttonshaw, Luke Daniels, Gunter Roan, and Stuart and Ryan Campbell, father and son team again. So enjoy this show. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. So my name is Sharma Buttonshaw. I'm 26 years old and I live 
directly behind Bells Beach in the bush there. Amazing. What a location. Yeah, it's lovely. And my board label's just Sharma Designs, so. Awesome. What, give me your backstory. Uh, how'd you get into board building? Um, to cut a long story short. No, no, no. Keep it long. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, probably to start with, um, I grew up surfing a few of Morris's boards when I was younger and he went a little bit weird and my dad uh, goes, okay, we're not getting any of Morris's boards for a period of time. Um, let's connect with Simon. So Simon Anderson. Yes. So I started writing Simon's boards for about 10 years and through that period, um, Simon was really good at kind of articulating and going through all the design principles to make changes on the feelings I was feeling on the boards. Um, and I'd sit down with him and it would sit on the computer program and make adjustments and stuff like that. So I was already learning the design thoughts that go into a board rather than kind of stabbing in the dark to get new ones. So through that period, it was through high school and everything like that. And I was doing woodwork in high school and I won the best woodwork for my school or something and won a orbital sander. And from there, like, what do I do with an orbital sander? And I started fixing dings for a little bit of cash out of my um, shed at home. Uh, yeah, fixing friends and stuff like that. And I had a guy, John Ayton, that does all my fins now. He, he taught me all the ding repairing skills. And from there, Morris Cole asked if I wanted a job in the surfboard factory. In it. So I was doing dings for a bit and I was kind of the factory grom. And then I slowly learned sanding and filler coating and glassing and through that period, I didn't, I was there for maybe three and a half years, but for three years or something, I didn't shape a board, but I'd spend hours and hours. There was like a little stool in the corner in Morris's shaping bay and I'd just watch him shape every, every time I was in there. And wasn't necessarily picking his brain about design principles. Like there was a lot going on over th three years, but it was more like listening to his stories. You've, you've interviewed him before. He's pretty amazing storyteller. Yeah. He won't stop actually. You don't even have to ask him. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I was in there and I was kind of learning without um, getting taught the principles because I was just watching him the whole time. So he didn't really teach me shaping techniques, but he, he taught me the philosophy and everything behind the boards and I was watching him with the shaping techniques. Got it. Um, for those 10 years that Simon was making your boards, we think of Simon, we just, he's synonymous with the thruster. What kind of boards was he making you? Were you riding high performance thrusters at the time? Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, so, one thing that was kind of evident from the beginning, though, is I'd always order two different rockers off Simon. I'd get, like, four boards at a time, and I wouldn't stick to one rocker because I like getting different feelings. And one of them had a belly rocker with a straighter exit, and that made me more back-footed. And then his other rocker, the XFC, made me more front-footed, and I liked the adjustment. Um, it also, if you get too used to a board, your problems in your surfing come out again. Yeah, it's good to mix it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I saw obviously Simon's here today and you guys are working together a little bit in the shaping bay. What board were you building? What did you shape? 
So I made like a two plus one. Okay. Um, so it was a six one. I live just behind Bells. So I surf Bells Beach and Winky Pop heaps. Um, and uh, a few years ago I had a knee reconstruction and I needed a stable board to surf on when I was um, recovering. And I made a really wide and really thick two plus one thinking it would hold my surfing back. Mm. But I surfed it and it gave me a different feeling than I've had before. And it had this crazy run where you place the board in the right part of the wave and it um, it's not a projection like a thruster. It, it runs, you place it and it uh, carries momentum. And I... I really like that feeling. So this is like a more refined version of that. Okay, so a six foot one. What about, what are the other de uh, design details? Tell me about the outline. Tell me about the bottom contours. So it was, it's kind of a good hybrid. It's got like a Wayne Lynch tail and a Dick Van Stralen nose. Okay. <laughs> Stealing from those guys. <laughs> but um, It's got a little fly with a rounded pin. Um, most of my two plus ones have been diamond tails. Um, but I thought with the, the flyer and the rounded pin, it would give a similar feeling with uh, like a pivot point or shortening the rail line, but it might have a little bit more hold in bigger waves. Okay. Because um, my diamond tails have got a slightly wider tail, so this one I've narrowed it a little bit. Mm. Um, and then it's got kind of subtle V running through nose to tail, um, and within that it's got like V double, so there's a bit of double concave, and then it goes into spiral V out the tail. Okay. Um, the, when you were saying that the board actually, um, like tracks really well, is that due to the volume that you put in that board originally, or is it, you're, are you implying that it's due to the two plus one setup? I think it's a hybrid of both. Um, with the two plus one boards I shape, the rocker measurements are very low. Um, but with the V you don't catch or anything like that. So with the, the double concave within the V, you get a little bit of lift as you do with concave and thrusters, but um, with the flat rocker and the more thickness, like it's an even foil at the nose and tail. Okay. Um, whereas the thrusters generally like an eighth thinner in the nose or even three sixteenths and thicker in the tail. So you can be further up the board and you get a lot of momentum carrying through, through the board like that. Got it. Um, I'm interested, obviously this is a long way from home for you. I'm interested why take the time and the resource and everything to come participate in an event like this. Well, it is very rare that you get a bunch of really niche like-minded people together. Um, and you've got the likes of Simon Anderson and Sam Egan was there last night and a whole bunch of Phil Byrne my first fiberglass surfboard was a hand-me-down from dad, which was a Phil Burn. So Amazing. there's all these connections. Um, that It's really worth the discussions and everything you can have with shapers. You gain a lot. And it's pretty rare that everyone's open and in this environment that it's not a marketplace and they're kind of dodging and because it's it's a hard um hard market it's hard to make a li living from surfing but when you you got a exhibition and there's no competition side of it everyone's quite open to design ideas and um, discussions like that it's a great point i didn't think about eliminating the kind of market aspect of it you're right people are more open
Yeah, bulk shaping is really eggy. Like, um, it's pretty toxic, uh, toxic literally, and people are competing for a very small market. And um, I don't know, a lot of people have falling outs in our industry and stuff like that. But if you eliminate it and you've got something like this, which is amazing, um, it's really open and yeah. supportive. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, they almost, those older guys actually seem eager. Like they're hoping that you engage them. A hundred percent. Which is great. It's like, I think, I mean, it's an attribute to Visla for even creating the environment for everybody to feel open like that, you know? Oh, totally. Because it's more than just like a bit of marketing for, for them or anything like that. There's there's a lot of substance and depth, depth behind it. Like it's no one else is getting a whole bunch of shapers together like that unless there's a financial incentive or you know you know what I mean it's people are coming here on their own merit I'm sure some guys are getting money because they deserve it but um a lot of guys are going there on their own merit because it is such a good environment well it's funny last night um John from Visla wanted Donnie and I to host a little bit of a QA. and a and then leading into the event, he's like, hey, man, honestly, I don't know if we're going to be able to get everybody's attention. Like everybody's drinking beer, having a good time. The music's playing. I don't know if you can really break up a party and get them to listen to people about design conversation or whatever. And Donnie and I both were like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's force it. And if it doesn't seem like it's going to work out, we'll pull the plug. But it, it's so rare to get everybody in the room together that we at least have to try and I was shocked how rapt everybody's attention was. People absolutely shut up, paid very close attention, and gave all the shapers the floor to talk. It was great. Oh, totally. And how was Darcy Day's question at the start? That was pretty profound. Amazing. Yeah. And off the cuff, too. Totally. You completely put him on the spot. And he, um, <laughs> it wasn't just a shallow question. It was quite, quite deep. Yeah, it was solid. What do you think, the, so back to the Shaper Shack on the beach, what do you think the value of it is for the end consumer, like the people walking by? Well, it's pretty easy to walk into a store and see a finished product, but it's actually quite difficult, especially for the everyday surfer that doesn't have any connections with shapers or anything like that, to actually see the process that goes into making a board. Um, they might Google it on YouTube or something, but that exposure to the process of making a surfboard, um, I reckon they'll take a lot out of it. For the every everyday punter, it's really intriguing watching someone um, sculpt something out of a block of foam. It when you, there's not much measuring tools in there, so I, I kind of just winged it, and I was it was freehanding. It was nice. It was more like envisioning something before it was there, and you kind of whittling away and getting it out and um, I reckon they can see that. Yeah, and recognize that it's not just a commodity like a lot of your other toys are. Exactly. It's like a skilled labor, functional piece of art. Totally, and same thing with computer shaping, you're you're spending um, hours on hand shaping on the computer and you gotta shape it yourself. It's not like you click print or anything like you would uh, yeah, like you said, another toy or anything like that where not a single hand touches it. There's a lot of thought behind, behind everything in the boards. Yeah. Um, are you building enough boards to where that is your sole income or? Yeah, so um, to cut a long story short, after I left Morris Cole, I went and worked with Corey Graham. And I worked with Corey for about two and a half years. And 
there I was with his dad and I was doing a lot of laminating and filler coating and sanding and Corey taught me a so Morris was the opposite. He taught me all the, the philosophy behind the boards and Corey taught me all the hand skills. So, and he shapes everything off the blank. Um, so he really refined my shaping that way. And I kind of slowly started getting more orders and then getting less um, production work for someone else. And I went out and built my own shaping bay behind bells and about two years after I built a laminating bay. So I've got both at home and yeah, just make boards full time. Are you doing the laminating yourself and the sanding and everything? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm curious, as kind of a small hands-on board builder, what do you view as the biggest threats to your business? I don't really see anything as a threat. I think everything's got its place. Um, I'm not drawn to high production boards or anything like that. I, I, I essentially earn two incomes because I shape and laminate and sand and stuff. So I can do less boards and earn the same amount of money as someone having to do uh, more surfboards. Um, but everything's got its place. There's a, there's a place for a, a pop-out Chinese board. There's a place for a $2,000 handmade um, Dave Palmatier board. There's and everything in between. So yeah. I don't know if you're true to yourself, um, people respond, I guess. Cool. Um, do you ride other shapers surfboards at this point? Yes, definitely. Really? Yeah. What percentage as opposed to what you're riding your own boards? Um, I make a lot of surfboards myself. So there's heavily outweighed because it costs more when I get a board off Simon or something like that. Yeah. Unless we do a board swap, which we've done in the past. Um, but you're kind of naive to think that you've got, you have the answers to everything. And <laughs> especially with new design um, ideas, you're picking up a board that might be 100 boards of refinement. So you're starting at a, a point further down the track if you ride someone else's. Um, not that you're copying it, but you, you already got a refined feeling for that design. Whereas if you see something on a tiny phone screen and try and emulate it without writing it, you're kind of stabbing in the dark from the beginning. Right. Right, right. But I'm not sure of the percentage. Like I've got, I've been writing one of Simon's boards again lately and um, Darcy Day shaped a board for me in the, the um, shaping bay up here. So yeah, bits and pieces. A lot of local boards. Yeah. yeah. I've got, got a few Morrises I ride still and um, yeah, lots of Wayne Lynch's. I just bought two off Dad, so nice. I'm stoked on that. Dad sells you boards? Yeah. <laughs> Does he give you a deal at least? Yes, he did. That's good. Um, the final question is, what was the what was the last surfboard that you rode? I think it was a brand new 6'1", 2 plus 1, very similar to what I shaped. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I surfed at Winky and it was quite big. It was like six foot really powerful when it was my first surf on it. So how'd it go? Very, very good. good. I got winded on one, I hit the water so hard, but that wasn't the board's <laughs> fault. <laughs> awesome, well, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. I'm Luke Daniels, I'm 36. I built 
I build my boards up in the Northern Rivers, um, near Byron Bay, okay. just north, Ocean Shores there. And did I forget one? What's the label now? Oh, Daniel Surfboards. Daniel Surfboards. Yeah. Very good. Um, the board that you made, that you shaped today, is pretty uh, intricate. Yeah, the Bonza. Yeah. The Bonza boards, There's yeah. a lot going on with that. There is, yeah. Can you explain what you shaped? Yeah, it was a 510 Bonza. It's going to be a Bonza 3, but the the, the Bonza fins, I'm going to um, not be the traditional Bonza 3 where it's the long base um, version. I'm going to come up with a, a fin where almost splicing the two Bonza 5s, the, the area of those, and put that into one fin, so it's going to be slightly higher. And, yeah, so it's going to... It's going to be more, more of an upright fin, but um, yeah. So it's it's going to be a Bonza three, but not the same configuration. Why? Why make the fin adjustment? What's the idea? Um, just want to have a little bit more board uh, fin in the water. Okay. Like the the long rakey ones get they get good drive and hold. But they can also, I feel like midway through, like a, a, a fast, powerful turn, they'll still drift a bit like a single fin can. Okay. Whereas the Bonds of Five seem to <clears throat> have a bit more hold in that regard. But I just want to try it and have them a bit deeper, same area, but just, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, just want to try that. Uh, explain the outline of the board and what are the contours on the bottom? The outline is it's got a little bit more width forward. The wide point's not forward of middle, but it, it carries through a little straighter through the middle of the board. It was it's nineteen it's nineteen and a half wide and it comes in, pulls into a bat tail and it's it was eight inches wide at, at the two points. And then you've got your Bonza concave in the tail, but starting from the nose, it's a slight V entry going to flat. And then it goes into a single and then the double Bonza concave. And then out through the tail, it just softens a little bit off the tail. The, Carrot, the, the concave runs through the tail, but I've, um, yeah, just taken a little bit off of that, what can be quite a deep V off through the tail when the concave comes through, just to, yeah, I've just found some of them with the deep V on the back. It can have a, have a good feeling just taking a little bit off. Okay. What kind of boards are you building under the Daniels label? Uh, I build a mixed range of everything. I... Mainly do custom orders, so I, okay. I do, I do, yeah, wide range. Like guys come to me with all sorts of ideas, and and then boards I like to shape and like to ride. I've been riding a lot of asymmetricals lately, but I do shape, yeah, twenties like performance twins, keels, bonzes, and then I also do like just yeah, performance short boards, quads, and then mid mid lengths, and just yeah, I kind of. 
little yeah, bit of like, everything. Like to dabble in a little bit of in everything. In Byron, people ride anything. Well, you that, know what I mean? That's the, the there's a lot of uh, exploration, let's say, in Byron. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. You <laughs> <laughs> know, um, you know, um, but yeah, no, it's it's good. It keeps it refreshing. Yeah. It's exciting, and it's yeah. It's, Is that it, where you grew up? It, I didn't grow up there. No, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Bronte. Okay. Which is on the south side of Sydney. Yeah. So, um, what brought you to Byron, and then where? What brought you into shaping? What interested you in shaping? Uh, br- uh, Byron came about. My my family kind of all have migrated up there over the last like twenty years. Okay. And so I was the last one left down in in, in Bronte, and um, yeah, moved, started a young family, and <clears throat> got out of the city just for a bit more space and. Uh, place for the kids to grow up and and the waves and the everything else that comes with the beautiful area and what got me into shaping were you shaping down in Bronte I started shaping down in Bronte okay. yeah I, I had a I had a garage under the flat we're living in and um I just yeah it was just mucking around in there mate gave me some shaping stands his shaper was uh, from Bondi, and um, he was getting rid of his gear, and he's, he's like, "Oh, you want you want these?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." Put them in, bolted them in. I was like, "Oh, here we go. I'll, I'll get a blank." And I'd, I'd previously shaped a ball with my dad. Oh, it might have been five years before before that. Just little makeshift one up up the coast when he was up there, um, but just never really had the space in Sydney. It's hard. It's really tight, and so when when I got a space, that's that started me off and. Just kind of <clears throat> wanting to ride boards. That that kind of just out Bronte, it's quite a you, you average shortboard doesn't go so good there because it's quite lumpy. It's not a perfect wave. It's it's pretty junky. It's so yeah, you you really refine board. You're having trouble having a having a good time surfing. Like yeah, you could get that one turn in, but there was not much. <clears throat> you didn't get much flow happening just with the nature of the waves so I started just shaping boards that I kind of thought oh, I'll put more, a bit more volume in I've been kind of picking up some old single fins riding those and going oh hey I like this extra volume like it's it's good for paddling good for getting through these lumps and so I started just yeah mucking around making boards that I wanted to ride and then I made a few boards myself and then Local crew and my mates were like, "Oh, can you make me one? I want, I want something like that. That looks fun. Like, mm. I've got this shortboard, but that that looks that's going, and uh, you know, it works here. I, I, can you make one of those?" So it kind of just went from there, and then people would get one, and they'd get another one, or they'd tell someone, and it just kind of rolled on from there. Hmm. Were you? Did you have access to anybody like to mentor under, to apprentice under? I I didn't. No, I didn't straight away. So how did you learn? I'm a carpenter, okay. builder by trade. Got it. And when I <coughs> shaped that, shaped the ball with my, my dad and my pa, he'd been shown how to shape. So I got a few principles from there, and just using the tools and the hand skills that I had, and then just getting what I wanted and what I knew worked and what I'd ridden before, and and just basically, yeah, the start it was it was taking me a bit of time to get the board out like I wasn't rushing them and just kind of yeah a lot of rubbing down <laughs> a lot of touching yeah. the rails kind of you know just kind of really and then so yeah I just was um, came about it like that 
that that makes sense like you can shape a board with a background in carpentry i suppose but laminating sanding all of that takes a real technical prowess and know-how how are your boards finished i get I don't glass them. Got it. No, no, okay. I don't. I, I've glassed a few since I moved up the coast. I was sh shaping in a bay where there was the laminators were downstairs and they gave me access and I'd watch them and do a few because I am interested in being able to do the, the full package. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've, I've glassed a few of my own boards and I, I still do do some from time to time just to keep the skills and or try and progress the skills. But I, I get people to laminate my boards got it um we're a good nine hours away from byron bay this is a commitment to come down and participate in an event like this why why do it oh it's a, it's an amazing opportunity to come down and <clears throat> and just showcase what i've been doing and and just to be a part of this experience yeah it's it's where it's do you see it. where do you see the value what do you get out of this just watching other shapers, speaking to other shapers, yeah, just soaking up any little bits of knowledge from the legends that are down here, watching what they're doing, talking boards, just... What is What do you get um, specifically watching other shapers? What are some of the things that you can pick up from that? Well, I've noticed everyone does it their own way, which is... Cause because I've kind of I came from just having to go, I thought, oh, maybe I'm along the way. Like maybe I'm doing it wrong. Like I'm, you know, obviously they're coming out and they're working, but like maybe I'm, maybe I'm not. You know, like I had those questions. You know, they, they arise. But then watching a whole bunch of shapers in a day do it, they've all got their own processes. Obviously, the techniques and the way it happens and holding the tools is all fairly similar but some people start from the top some people start from the bottom oh, you know they it's all different so it's kind of it's good you can you can pick up you may pick up little tricks the way they they take out volume or put rocker in or falling the rails or doing stuff like that that they're the kind of little things yeah that you can um, pick up just from watching guys that have shaped ten thousand boards and yeah you know, they've, they've got their way is there any value you think for the um general community like there's a lot of surf contests that take place all over the world not a lot of them have shaping experiences at the event what do you think the value is there it gives people more understanding of like what goes into a board a lot of people do know how boards are made but a lot of people don't so they'll go to a shop pick up a board and just think they, they don't really know what happened along the line yeah so i think for people to have an understanding and and seeing where the creativity can come into it and then also just you know what the raw blank looks like what a finished blank looks like and then they've got a glassing bay this year and they can see how it gets laminated yeah i think people take a lot away they might appreciate their boards a bit more and yeah um are you still doing carpentry i still do do carpentry yeah so board building is kind of a side project it's a side project yeah um, it's part-time i'm do two days shaping and three days carpentry awesome um what are your concerns uh for the board building industry as a whole or for your business specifically do you have any at the moment no i don't i don't really have any concerns because i <clears throat> i'm not at the point where i'm 
I'm putting a lot of pressure on the boards to bring home the bacon to to look for my provide for my family. So I'm not. I don't have concerns like oh, I need those next orders to come through. I'm not at that stage yet. So I can. St- I've still got a got a leg in both both sides. Um, and as far as um, like the industry, because it, it, it does seem like it's in shaky times. You've got pro surfers on the tour with no sponsors and it's, there's things like that where, you know, it's it's quite, seems quite insane that, you know, the most elite group <coughs> of surfers, one of the hardest pro sports to get into are sponsorless. Like there's 34 people out of, millions that do it and they and th- and there's like probably 10 maybe there might i don't know exactly five to ten guys who don't have backing so it's like what what's actually going on but as far as the board building side i i think i'm on the custom order side i'm kind of and i'm i'm doing boards that yeah i can do i do short boards and stuff like that but also i do some more specialist boards and i think there is a market there for that. Like people, people are wanting that ball with a resin tint. They want something with their name on it, or they want something that's just for them, and they don't mind waiting. And I'm, I'm finding that, that it's. I would, yeah. I, I think that there's, there'll always be a market for that. Yeah, there's the purest surfer. Like, they will shell out money for something, and as people get older, they, they kind of go, oh, I'm, I'm, I've had. All these short boards that I don't care, you know, not don't yeah. care about, but I can just go get another one off the shelf. But like this board, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you directly and, you know, getting all the specifics and I'm seeing photos come along the way and they, they get that connection yeah. and it's um it's something more special. So I think, yeah, that's uh, that's the kind of road I'm I'm sticking to and just only hand shaping and that's yeah that's cool. Do you ride any other shaper surfboards? Yeah, I do. Yeah, do you? Yeah. Uh, what was the last what? board I rode? Was a an Outer Island Mitchell Ray okay. thruster, and then I did have a go on a on a friend's uh, on a friend's Merrick just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he wanted to go on my ASIM, so I jumped on his Merrick. He had a what was it? It was one of the later. It's like a Rocket, rocket wide, rocket wide, yeah, 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 just a little thruster, and yeah, it went it went sick, yeah, it was good. And yeah. what yeah, what value do you see out of riding other people's boards? Just feeling different, different foils, different rails, what their concaves are. Like everyone's kind of got their you know the thing they go to with what they like putting on the bottom. It's just um, yeah, the the more information and more different boards and more. You can ride. I think is a is a good thing. Cool. It can come back, come out in your shapes. It can, yeah. It's it's just expanding your good surfing knowledge. Good. Um, final question is: What was the last surfboard that you rode? The last board I rode was five ten ASIM that I just rode in the heat before. So you get you surfed really well. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> How'd you do? I didn't know. I didn't actually see who won the heat or how people stacked up, but how'd you do? We scraped through, yeah. yeah so. so how does it even work? It's, what is it? 
you, you've a, got a team. It's a team, yeah. Okay. So it's a surfer and a, and a shaper. Okay. And it was like a tag team. So the 25-minute okay. heat, the surfer went out first, caught. It was, the time was split, so it was up to, up to the team to take how long each surfer wanted. And then the surfer scores, they, they take the high score, and then the shaper's score was doubled. Oh, okay. So it, um, yeah, it hinged like that, or it was weighted like that. Who was your surfer? I had Tom Whitaker surfing for me. Oh, I totally, yeah, because they were using, on the scoreboard, they were using your name, but I'm like, that looks like Tommy Witz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good teammate to have. Very much so. Yeah, not a mate from Bronte, and yeah, yeah, I was stoked that Tommy, Tommy was, said he'd, he'd surf with us. So you guys took it? Uh, we didn't win the heat. Oh, you didn't? We, okay. we, uh, we got third. Oh, okay. And okay. so that was enough because it was a five-man heat. So got it. Five-team heat. So got uh, it. yeah, we snuck through. Awesome. Well done. All right. Thanks for chatting too. Thanks for having me by. Yeah. Athleticgreens.com slash surf. You know I am a huge fan of AG1. I've turned friends and family onto it, and I haven't received anything but praise from everyone that I know. The reason why is that AG1 fills the nutritional gaps in your diet. It promotes gut health, supports whole body vitality. It is just one daily serving, a scoop of green powder that you mix with water, and it delivers a potent blend of nine essential health products and needs. It has multivitamin, minerals, probiotics, adaptogens. They all work together to make you feel your healthiest and operate optimally. So they've made getting everything you need for your diet super, super simple. And if you go through our portal, athleticgreens.com surf, you will get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 plus five free travel packs. 60-day money-back guarantee. Sign up, automate your health. Nothing could be easier. Athleticgreens.com surf. Enjoy. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, my name's Gunter Rohn. I started shaping 47 years ago in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, our factory is in Ballina. Um, we do my own label, Gunter Rohn Surfboards, and uh, work for on board doing the town and country retro boards. And Timmy Patterson's boards I do. Oh, I didn't know that. Good. Yeah. Very cool. Um, 47 years ago in South Africa. Mm. What was the board building scene like then? Did you have access to materials even? Oh, yeah. It was rudimentary. Um, no, but we had access to all the good materials. Um, forerunner of surfing in South Africa, there was two. There was Max Wetland in Durban that made boards and John Whitmore in Cape Town. John Whitmore was the Clark Foam agent. Yep. He blew foam over there. Oh, I didn't back know in he, the was, day. he was blowing it there? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we had the materials. Awesome. What brought you uh, to Australia and when? Uh, I came over in 1973... Just to start travelling, um, there was a lot of people, surfers from Australia and the US and Hawaii came to South Africa. Uh, starting, yeah, mid to late 60s, early 70s, South Africa was the go-to spot basically before Bali. It's really... Uh, how things evolved and I met a lot of Australian surfers, a lot of American surfers and I heard all the stories and I decided uh, it'd be a good time to go on a trip and I never went back. I stayed in Australia, found, uh, met my wife and uh, been back to South Africa three times in that time. That's all? Mm. Wow. Uh, well. My job kept me from going back because you don't make money in South Africa. 
as far as surfboards go with the exchange rate. When I first went back in 83, it was still good. I worked there for three months on the south coast of Durban at Margate for a person called Lyle Coney, Country Rhythm Surfboards. And Simon, he took Simon's label and he did that as well. So it, that was worthwhile. I didn't have my own business at the time, so you're just a shaper, so your money goes further. Since then, um, owning your own business, you do work in South Africa. It's really, it's more doing people a favour and, mm. you know, going back to the old country. I mean, the people you leave that you grew up with, they're always going to be your, some of your deepest friends, you know, your early life, the people you grew up with. It's a very important uh, part of growing up. So when I go back, even though there's long gaps, it's like I've never left. You know, um, but yeah, um, you know, being into surfboards and um, having sponsored a lot of people over the years and uh, it takes you all over the world and it didn't take you to South Africa. Got it. And you only got so much time when you're running a business to go away every year because a lot of the time you go for three weeks, which is really the maximum, but I used to go for a month and you tend to come back to chaos. You've got really? to pick up everything, you know, because I've got a uh, policy where uh, no one should wait longer than a month for a board. No matter how busy you are, you shouldn't wait longer than a month. So already you're coming back after a month and the, the backlog's getting heavy and you're going, geez, these people want their boards, you know. Yeah. So you're chasing your tail. Right. You know, you're working hard overseas because it's finite. You've got to do so much. You're leaving on this day. So you're working hard. You get back home, you're working hard. You know, you want to go surfing and you go, gee, I've got to fit that in as well. You know, so <clears throat> I've kind of slowed down on all that. Yeah. I'm nearly 66 years old now and I'm starting to feel the rigours of shaping a lot in a day, shaping a lot of boards and I don't have the energy anymore to do what I used to do. I used to go away and shape two, th at least twice a year. Mm. You know, sometimes three times. So, um, yeah. Do you feel optimistic about the people coming into your factory below you, like um, employees? Is there enough young people coming in to kind of fill the void if you want to retire? Oh, shaping-wise, there's always people want to shape. Okay. There's too many people in the industry right now. Um, it's oversupplied. A lot of the young guys don't realise, I don't think they got this romantic idea of making boards and going surfing and, you know, make a bit of money and then the reality hits in where they go, gee, it's so hard. And Australia is really the bear pit. Um, we've got more manufacturers in Australia per head of surfing population than anywhere else in the world. You know, I've worked in the States quite a bit and Hawaii quite a bit and the shapers over there, the people in the industry, they got a less romantic view of it. They got a much more pragmatic view. Go, hey, I can't make any money out of this. I'm getting out. I'm going back into construction. There's a lot of shapers in California who are tradesmen, but they're very good shapers as well. And the, the work drops off. They go, hey, I'm out of here, man. 
I'm going back on construction. Call me when you've got enough foam for me. I'm going, yeah. It's a different attitude. In Australia, it's more, you're in this, and it's a blinkered view. I don't do anything else. I'm shaping, you know, and yeah. I'm going, yeah, you know, it's, it's overdone. Hmm. You know, there's a, I think there's a fair few less boards being manufactured in the US per head of surfing population. In other words, the factories are doing more boards. You know, here there's a lot of people doing very little, you know. Yep. Um, so I think their view is better than ours. Interesting. From a know, business From sense. a business yeah. sense, and that's how you've got to view things. You know, there sure. is the romantic side of it, for sure. I mean, that's why I got into it. But it was a lot more viable in my day than it is now. Right. You know, I really do these days talk kids out of getting into the industry. Do you? Because... I can just see how it's going. And all they're interested in is shaping boards or designing surfboards because it's computers, you know. And uh, no one wants to do the other side of it. I said, hey, you know, there's a, we need polishers and uh, sanders and stuff. No, I don't really want to do that. You know, so it's very one-sided what the kids want to do. Yeah. And we're running out of those people. You're running out of people laminating boards and polishers are very hard to come by and it's coming back. That side of manufacture, people want to see polished boards, you know, yep. um, more so than five, six years ago, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the whole uh, alternate thing in board design, you know. Um, tints are coming back heavily and stuff like that. And there's that market that's willing to pay for it because it's quite expensive. Yeah. But we don't have enough people to do this. Right. You know, if someone wants a polished board of me, I go, oh, okay, I can, the board will get done within a week, but <coughs> we're going to be waiting for the polisher. <laughs> that could be another two weeks. Sure. What's your, um, what's your take on this event, the Shaper Shack event? What do, you, do you see any value in this for adding this to a surf contest? Yeah. Tell me, what is it? Um, people watching while you're doing it, you don't get many. But I think the, with something like you doing the podcast and the follow-on, you know, um, I think that, you know, everything considered, it's got to help. Yeah. Exposure. Yeah. You know, and the media is the way to do it. You know, don't worry about not many people watching you shape it. I mean, yesterday with me at Ebden Flowed, at one stage it was a fair few and then hardly anyone. And Kelly came along well to say hi and come into the room and I really appreciated it, you know. But he brought a crowd. Yeah. All of a sudden the place was full, <laughs> you know. It's, it's incredible. I find that people are actually interested. Like, yeah. if you're only interested in seeing Stewie Kennedy versus Soli Bailey, mm -hmm. The best viewing experience is actually probably on your computer yes. because you can see replays, close-ups. Yep. So the, the general public that's coming down to this event um, that are just general surf interested, they'll look and watch a couple of waves for five minutes, but then they do go into the shaping bay and watch for five minutes. Mm. They go watch the laminator for five minutes because yeah. I think surf culture, uh, competitive surfing is only this tiny, tiny bit of surf culture. Board building 
is actually a more significant part of surf culture. And the general public, I think, has, they understand that. They like that. Yeah, well, they get to see it, you know, because it's like, well, you get milk from the supermarket. Where's it come from? Well, it comes from the cow, but, you know, you know what I'm driving at is um, people just go to a shop and buy a board. They don't know how it evolves, and this gives them a good opportunity to say, hey, I saw someone shaping a board, you know, because the culture these days for the masses is they don't have a relationship with a shaper like it was in days gone by. They just go to a shop and buy a board. There is the other side of it where people like to have a relationship with a shape they can talk to you. It's more the hardcore, like to be able to talk to the shaper and you've had a relationship with a lot of surfers for a long time, so that, you know, that continues. They influence other people, but generally speaking, the majority of people now, they just go to a shop and buy a board. That's what I was going to ask you. What is your relationship, first of all, with retail mm. um, as opposed to what percentage are you selling through retail versus not and direct? And then secondly, is there a way that retail could do their job better to support you? Well, I had my day in the sun. Um, you know, as far as the general public goes, they want to surf what they see the top surfers in the world surfing, you know, the top 32, whatever, Mick Fanning or... Parker or Kelly or whoever you want to name, they get the perception that this is the best sport. I want to ride one of them, you know. And uh, so obviously if you don't have people on the tour anymore, um, you drop off as far as the masses go. The hardcore doesn't care, you know. They know they're going to get a good board of you. It's a bit, you know, you can really, and the big manufacturers mightn't like me saying it, but it's like... I'm buying a Ford or a Toyota or blah, blah. Go to the shop and buy a Toyota, you know. And I'm going, well, I make Beamers and Mercedes and Audis. But, you know, I can't ask a premium because it's a different perception. It's not the same. <coughs> yes, yeah, so the Beamer's the same price as the Toyota in this yeah, example. Yeah, in this example, you know. Um, and I'm not saying... Um, the boards are bad. The, the boards are some of the boards are very good. I, I really respect <coughs> someone like <coughs> Matt Baolis. To me, knows a lot about boards. For instance, he articulates it really well too when he talks about design and uh, um, you know talking about surfboards and stuff. I think American shapers tend to articulate things better than Australian shapers, hmm. and. You know, people like Ben Aipo, Hawaiians, <coughs> very knowledgeable. Um, it's not to say we don't know what we're doing. It's just they seem to be able to put it over better, yeah. you know. And you look at a lot of the shapes. Um, the new shapers, a lot of them, they don't incorporate what we learned in when we developed the shortboard. Really? You know, what's old isn't necessarily... <coughs> bad you you discard the bad things we learned not to use anymore but you combine them with uh the new mm -hmm. so when you get hybrid boards you know really wide slabs i find a lot of shapers they leave out things that should be incorporated that we learned years ago like you got a slab and it's got no v in the tail or it's really flat i'm going well 
you know, how are you going to get that thing going in the first place? And Matt, uh, look, uh, he, he's been around a long time and through the whole spectrum I go, yeah, those ports, they're pretty on the money. Yeah. You know, now that's giving him a big plug, but, you know, um, to me, I noticed this and some other uh, designs, well-known brands, I'm going, oh, you haven't thought about that one too well. Interesting. <laughs> you know? Interesting. Um, what's your take on this event in terms of the kids, the younger kids coming up? I know um, they seem to be very reverent of the older crew. Mm. You know, I could see that they're actually, I don't know, may, they might be intimidated to really ask detailed questions, but I can see that the younger shapers are definitely paying attention and they yeah, seem to good. be attuned when mm. the older guys are around. And every time I ask them, they said a large part of the reason for them coming is just to glean some insights, just to be around this Yeah, that's crew. interesting. Yeah. 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 I haven't thought about it like that. So yeah. that's the point of view for coming here and shaping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I do get, you know, they respect you, they want to talk to you and stuff, and I'm always open to giving advice. I don't, I mean, gee, it doesn't bother me. It's no secret. Yeah. You know, I'll give advice where I can, you know. Yeah. I mean, getting back to Matt, you know, there's plenty of old shapers that know the game. He's just an example. You know, and the newer crowd, I'm going, well, you didn't get in on the ground floor. Maybe that's what you're missing. Yeah. You know? Could be. Um, what do you view as the biggest threat to your business currently? Um, or, or maybe just a concern for the industry? Just so many people doing it and the imports to add to it. <coughs> you know, um, the kind of boards we're into mainstream and um, you know we do a lot of boards as far as a percentage of our production is boards for serious waves you know the other day I made a 10 foot <coughs> rhino chaser for WA and we do quite a lot of that just too many boards but in saying that we're diversifying and um, the market that you know could hurt you is like Boards coming in from China. Well, we are not in that market, really. Right. right. You know, um, it seems like pointy, high-performance thrusters mm, that, are more of a commodity. Yeah, beginner boards and and uh, fishy type boards. Yeah, that comes out of China. I know surfers that'll buy those kind of things just to have another board, but their go-to board, they still, uh, you know, they want an Australian board. Right. You know, um, the hardcore, they won't buy it, you know. And I'm not in that market, so it doesn't cons that side of it doesn't concern me that much. It's more the boards that are made in Australia, how many people are coming into it. That concerns me. Okay. Not so much for the imports. People always mention imports. They go, yeah, it is a, it is a problem. We can't sell beginner boards anymore. But it was never a m big part of our production anyway. Got it. Um, what's your current relationship like with surfing? How often do you surf and all that? Oh, I, I'm out there at least twice a week. Oh, good for you. 
you but I mean, you know, it's getting hard. <laughs> I'm out. That's why I say I'm out here. But you know, um, it's become such a cliche between us older people, and we're all the same. Gone. I never thought getting up on the board would be that hard. <laughs> it's not the surfing. It's when you're surfing mediocre waves and say the the swell periods low. You get no momentum. You really got to paddle on. You got to push up. You know, and when you're young, you're so much more agile than when yeah. you're old. We actually need a wave that's got a bit of momentum to help you up and get going, you right. know. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, like I say, I don't think surf-wise, when I'm actually up and riding, I've lost that much. Okay. You know, it's just that thing where you think it's like riding a bike. Well, it's not. <laughs> As, um, there's a lot of less athleticism in getting on the bicycle. Yeah. Um, the thing is, too, what... To help us now, a lot of us have to surf bigger boards than we normally would. And I'm at a stage now where I'm surfing boards I don't like. And it's only because they're too big for what I'm meant to be surfing. But if I don't surf a board with that sort of volume, I'm not getting on the wave. Right. You know, and a lot of us have that same problem, you know. Um. Yeah from a shaper and designer point of view over the years how often do you ride other shapers surfboards uh not a real lot when i'm overseas and say i'm, I'm for instance maybe i go on a shaping stint i don't take a board and i get a board out of the rack you know or I borrow someone else's board we swap boards so uh, but generally, no, not much. I remember Rodney Dahlberg and myself made boards for each other. And uh, I realised, yeah, we're both on the same track. I feel like I'm riding one of mine and vice versa. Really? <laughs> yeah, but people really put us in the same bracket, you know. We had the same idea and our boards looked alike and stuff, you know. We were on the same track. Okay. Yeah. Did you see any value in riding other shapers' boards? Oh, yeah. yeah. Gives you another insight. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know. Um, it's good for guys on the tour to ride now and again, ride other shapers' boards so they get another insight. Yeah. You know, it used to happen now. I don't know how much it's happening, you know. Um, uh, I still sponsor people. The person that does more for me than anyone's Anthony Walsh, but he's not that competitive. He's more into surfing barrels. He gets barreled. Yeah. You know, Spends more and, time in the barrel uh, yeah. than most people. And it gets, I mean, he creates his own exposure. He gets a lot of exposure. And he's been the best person I've ever sponsored because he's so proactive in helping you because he knows I'm bad at marketing, you know. And he, he's got my Instagram uh, password and he just posts stuff. Good. And I see the same in Tim Patterson. He's not very good at marketing. Yeah. He's a worker just like me, you know. So, yeah, I see a lot of him in myself or vice versa, I think, you know. It's important to be able to delegate certain responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anthony Walsh, I mean, that in this era, if you're not marketing yourself, like as a pro surfer, mm. you have to be marketing yourself. And even the big brands... 
that might sponsor athletes, they still expect you absolutely. to absolutely generate your More own so content. now than ever. Yeah, bring because your Because the money is not bring there it. anymore and they're expecting yeah. you, hey, you've got to help bring our brand up. Absolutely. Because, you know, you go back 10 years, the surf industry was awash with money and no one really cared that much. Oh, you're sponsoring me, I'm giving you exposure, you take movies on me, blah, 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 you yep. know, and away we go. But no, no, it's actually... Now it's more, it's up to you to help us move our product. You've yeah. got to be proactive. A lot of kids still don't get that, but it's getting more and more like that. I think it's actually healthier this way because um, things were too rich mm. previously, too fat. You know, mm. it's like you had to do some belt tightening and now everybody's actually working harder yeah. for the money. Yeah. So it's good. Uh, final question is, what was the last surfboard that you rode? My own. What was it and, and where? Uh, South Wall. Actually, North Wall, Ballina. It's a 7.4. Very round shape. It's not a mini male, but it's got a wider nose. At the moment, I can't ride my 6.10. I'm finding it too hard to get waves on it. Mm. I've, got a, I've got a paddling problem. I've, I've got a very bad shoulder, so it doesn't help. That's so... Um you were talking about as you get older, you need to ride more foam. Yeah, one, one foam thing, is your friend. That's what I've heard. But <laughs> I've heard now a counter argument against that, which is it's harder to obviously duck dive or when you kick out of a wave to swing the board around and paddle totally. back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. you're doing damage to your shoulders yeah. and your back and things yeah, like that. Yeah, this is the downside. Yeah. That's why people, oh, you're going to have to ride a longboard soon, I guess. I don't know if I'll ever go to a longboard. Look at the waves you're forced to surf on a longboard because you can't duck dive the thing. You want to surf more serious waves, especially beach break. How are you going to paddle to th out to the back on, yeah. a, on a longboard? Yeah. You're not going to do it. You just keep getting pushed back. And that is the downside. Takes that much more energy. Mm. Yeah. So I'd love to be back on the 610 because I know I can duck dive it much better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Okay, my name's um, Stuart, or I usually go by Stewie, but Stewie Campbell. I'm 58, and I'm in business with my son. I make water pistol surfboards in Noosa Heads. Awesome. Who's your son? And uh, I'm Ryan Campbell. I'm 34, uh, former professional surfer and board builder with my father, Stuart. Stuart, what got you into board building? Uh, just the desire to make stuff. I did it. From a really young age, I was 12 when I shaped my first board. Wow. But even prior to that, I used to shape little sticks and mini, mini boards and things like that. I've always been, I guess, on the creative side of things. And that was what, oh, plus I loved surfing. I'd taken it up, had the surf bug, and that was it. It was only natural that I'd start making surfboards, I think. Uh, was your dad building watercrafts was it of some sort canoes yeah my, no my dad he also built boards but way back in the old um the toothpick days the hollow ply boards i think his last board that he built was 15 foot three holy um, cow yeah big brass handle on the back and bung in the end and yeah, yeah. Amazing. and he was an ocean racing yachtsman you know he's competed in heaps of sydney hobart races and he's a life member of the club that has those that uh, host that race. Got it.
Uh, what kind of boards are you building at Water Pistols? Our main sort of thrust of what we produce is we've always been aimed at sort of state-of-the-art high-performance boards. Um, but we do vary. At, uh, over the years, I've built everything from MALs to racing stand-up paddle boards to your stubbies to all sorts of things. So we do offer a range in our shops, but it's still always been the main thrust has been high-performance shortboards. What did you guys build today in the shaping bay? Uh, that was an ironic one that the very first board I ever shaped as a 12-year-old was a uh, um, twin fin keel fish. Uh, I was inspired by the movie Going Surfing years ago with uh, David Nueva surfing like a Steve Liss fish at Rocky Point. And um, I that was the first board I ever built. And um, I wasn't that fond of them ever. And... It, it's funny that things have gone full circle and here we are 45 years later and there's a big demand for them up home, virtually unchanged from what that first board I made was. So I thought as so many people are asking for them, we better start you know, producing some and, um, with a few little tweaks though, you know, tried okay. to modernise it a bit. What exactly did you build? Like what size and tell me, talk me through the, the design. Well, I'll let Ryan handle this one because I built that. For, I built it for him. He's my chief test pilot and uh, always has been. And uh, yeah, yeah, let him run you through it. Yeah. So pretty much all of our designs, I'll uh, dad will shape it by hand, and then I'll take it surfing and see how it goes. And then from there, we'll go. All right, that's a good. That'll be a good model. We'll scan that into the shaping machine. Okay. So that's kind of how we do all of our boards and. We've got a high-performance twin fin in our models, but uh, we didn't have like an old traditional kind of keel fin-based design, so Dad shaped one but pulled in the tail a little bit so it was a little bit more, so a bit more in the pocket and not as straight as the outline in the tail. So mm. it'll be interesting to see how it goes. We've got it set up so you can ride it as a twin fin or a quad as well. Should be fun. So, I mean, is that the first one that you guys are introducing, or have you written versions of it up until now? Oh, well, we've got a high-performance 20, which yeah. goes amazing, but this kind of, yeah, the first one that's kind of more traditional shape back, okay. back from sort of, you know, Got late it. 70s. Yeah, the first one of them I've done, like I say, for 45 years ago I did one, and then today was the second one That's done. literally the second one. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Where's that first one? Uh, we sacrificed it off the cliffs with little groms and we threw it off in a big swell at Brandy down here in no Sydney way. and watched it get destroyed on the rocks. So, uh, Probably seemed like such a good idea when you were a kid. <laughs> now it's terrible. <laughs> um, obviously, it's a lot of effort for you guys to get down here. I mean, you got to fly, probably bring your tools with you and stuff like that. Why participate in an event like this? Um I think, uh, as like I said at the Shaper Forum they had the other night, it's the first time. But what Vistler have done here, it's the coolest thing that's, you know, I've ever experienced as Is a it? Shaper, you know. Apart from the personal satisfaction I get of making the boards and watching my son compete on them and things like that. But we don't really get that much recognition, but it's never been what I've done it for. I do it for, you know, loving... at the. At, day's end I've got something there that I've produced and you know it's something that I can it's something functional and that looks looks good and um but 
yeah, that's it, it is nice to get a bit of a recognition, a bit of a pat on the back every now and again. And we did this last year, and uh, it was such an amazing thing. We were just hoping they'd ask us back this year, which they did, and we're stoked. And I had a um, a great experience just last year's one where. There were two, well, I say old guys because they're probably older than me, but um, they stood there intently watching the whole time. And then when I finished and I came out, they came up to me and they've just gone, mate, just want to thank you so much. Just, you know, we're a couple of old hacks. We make a couple of occasional boards for ourselves, but we just learnt more off watching you then than I've learned off anything anywhere, you know. And, wow. and they just said, we just want to thank you. And that was a good feeling. You know? I'd say so. Yeah. Um good to show that it's not just a commodity too like a lot of other toys that we have are that it's like a skilled labor thing you know for sure you can see that the people are often surprised they sit there and go wow that that's a fair bit of effort to go into particularly when it's a a hand-shaped one you know and um even though we we've you know embraced the machine because it is a it is a good way of reproducing the boards exactly and taking a bit of that drudge drudgery of the earlier work away, the hard, you know, ploughing down the foam to find that shape in there and we can do it time and time again. But as Ryan said before, we'll do all our originals will involve that process of hand shaping, doing what I think looks nice, what feels good, what seems like it flows well together, and then take it out and test it and then if it's good then on it gets scanned and um away we go and then we can further tweak it from there yeah um how much value do you get out of coming to an event like this and seeing other people shape and maybe even engaging with them and communicating do you get any is does that benefit your craft at all no not not necessarily. Sometimes you'll, you'll see little things that you might pick up, but we've all got our, our ways of shaping. There's no right way of shaping sort of thing or, or producing the board. Everyone's got their own technique to get up with their end result. So basically the way I've been doing it has remained unchanged for decades. Okay. But um, I like it more as the, the getting together of the different guys, the different other other board builders and that from different areas and and the just the camaraderie the just the whole event the, yeah the social yeah. aspect yeah um tell me about your business uh it's interesting to talk to everybody else kind of in succession because everybody if you have success with a label there's a mil- there's a number of different ways to kind of grow the business and to scale the business and some people go like full production trying to sell boards around the world some people just go small numbers but high-end artisanal Um, some people try to sell through retailers you guys were just showing me that you've actually got a a retail store and i don't know do you sell through other retailers or what is the business model that you've chosen i'll probably let ryan field this one because it was his he was the impetus for bringing bringing back the label water pistols i'd started it in 1983 but as I'll tell anyone, I wasn't a very good businessman. I was best on the crafty side of building things. So, and I, I never really had the people around me that was required for a big successful business. So I ended up just making boards for other companies and I hadn't had my water pistols label for 20 years. And then 
um, after Ryan's surfing career, he uh, came up with the idea or, well, after six years of working away and then he came up with the idea of bringing back the Water Pistols label and um, I'll let him take it yeah. from there. What was your idea and why? Yeah, so basically I grew up as a professional surfer, mainly competing on dad's boards, but I've ridden boards off sort of, you know, all the top shapers in the world. Then after my career, worked in mining for a bit, didn't like it and kind of, I don't know, was probably a little bit lost of what I wanted to do. And I kind of just found that passion and love that I had for surfing and kind of, you know, wanted to kind of pass what I feel with surfing to other people. So we sort of, I got dad to make me a few boards and they went amazing and I was kind of like, oh, do I try and compete again or... What do I do? And then I kind of went, well, you know, why don't we sort of set up our own shop and kind of have it more of an experience? So it's not just like, you know, you come in and just get sold aboard and then you get out, you kind of come in, you can sit and have a coffee and talk about surfing and just, we always try and make sure that everyone who does get aboard through us has a good experience and get them on the right equipment. Because I, I know I found a lot of surf shops, they'll just sell you what's been sitting on the rack the longest just to move product you know it's so I kind of went well we're a bit different because it's our own board so it's kind of you know we got a bit of uh it's not costing us as much to produce as yeah. buying like another label and sitting them in there so yeah. kind of went you know we can sit on stock a little bit longer so it doesn't affect us as much to make sure that, you know, if someone comes in and they might be a little bit heavier or something and we don't quite have what they need, we can produce a board for them. So it's just been able to talk with them rather than if it was just a general surf shop. Yeah, our, if our board's water pistols was in another shop and they're like, oh, there's no 510s or whatever, but that person wants a 510, they'll put them on another brand, whereas we can kind of go, well, you know, is what we recommend you ride and yeah we don't have it in stock but we can produce it for you and get it to you fairly quickly so that's kind of yeah a bit more of a personal touch rather than just churning them out and the having a retail shop to um sell your surfboard label makes a lot of sense for all the reasons you said but what's interesting to me is the uh, experience of the retail shop that you've designed and obviously I just saw photos it's super modern like it looks radical like you could have that shop in New York City or somewhere you know it's um, what's the idea behind that and then also did it take any convincing from Pops so I pretty much made him bring the brand back and then kind of he sort of just let me run with everything of sort of how everything's done like i'm super particular with decals if it's down you know quarter of an inch i'm like second like really i'm super particular everything's got to be the same i just want it so that if you see a board online and you buy one in store or wherever you know it's going to be exactly like you've seen it. it's not going to be like decals are off or anything like that so just making everything the same so the high quality is across the board and then kind of, I hate clutter. <laughs> and so sort of wanted a bit more of a minimalist store. So I've been just calling it like a boutique surf shop. So we don't sell everything in there. 
but what we sell in there we know we work that works so the brands we stock we've tried we've tested them we know they work we don't just sell it because we make good margins on it we sell it because we know it works but so that's kind of what we go for when ryan says what we sell we don't sell any other brands of boards it's only yeah that's the apparel and stuff yeah. we sell our own a bit of our own um shirts and shorts yeah. and things but other brands as well but yeah that's from the brands of fins but we're just specifically our boards and won't sell anything else in there yeah and um and with the with the convincing for me it was more like the other way around and i found it hard to get any ideas as we were doing the shop and ryan would shut me i think oh this would look great mate let's do this and he'd no no dad can't do that you know he'd be like no we'll and I'd be, oh, right, that was a good idea. And then, but then all of a sudden the shop was done and opened and there were, we were getting messages from people going, mate, congratulations, I think you got the best surf shop in the world. And Ryan, I sort of went, the proof was in the pudding. <laughs> and I didn't argue with him anymore. I just went, mate, Ryan's got the modern side of it and running with the business and what looks, what does come out well and look good for us and... Um, Whereas I just concentrate on the, the boards and the production of the boards and the speaking with the people in the shop and that we divide our time in the shop. So there's always be either Ryan or myself, someone who knows the boards intimately will be there to discuss them with who, whoever's, you know, looking at them and that, whoever wants good information. So yeah, that was the main thing providing because we found a lot of people said they'd you know, go into some other shops and find that there was no one in there who really even seemed to surf who was selling them boards and they couldn't really, you know, say much. So yeah, that was crazy. a lot of the a lot of the concept. And as well it was as like Ryan said, it was it's a real relaxing and comfy place. It's air conditioned, it's got a lot of room around you and um and yeah, the good food, really good brand of um the coffee we've got is super, super good and that sort of brings people back and just exposes them to the label. You know, they mm -hmm. quite often they're people. We we get we get groups of old grannies come a couple of times a week come into the shop. They're never going to surf or anything, but they still they're people who would walk past our shop. At least they come in and they help help with the overheads and that by coming in a couple of times a week and you know buying a bit of food and stuff. And that's, that's awesome. what that's what helps. You know, it's funny. Um, retail has been struggling just because of Amazon and the internet and all that sort of stuff. But I've heard in the last year um, talking about a resurgence in retail and it's directly related to the experience. So human beings are becoming less and less connected with their phones, just staring into their screens and that sort of thing that they are desiring personal experiences. So they're actually going out to get away from their phone. And that's why um, music festivals and concerts are so popular in the last decade, is people are craving real experience. And so the sector of retail that's thriving is the ones who are able to do exactly what you're saying. And even the big brands, like these big uh, international department store chains, are now building restaurants on the second floor, building coffee bars on the first floor, building a makeup experience where they'll apply all the makeup for you, you know, all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff because people do, it's not that they don't want to go to retail stores, they just want it to be a personalized experience. Yeah. So I think you guys tapped into the perfect timing, you know? So glad to hear that that's gone well. <laughs> um, 
the other thought is, you're, Stuart, you're right when you said that you weren't a great businessman or that you're the first to admit you weren't a great businessman. Building boards successfully and being a good shaper has nothing to do with business. And so over the years or the decades now, you know, it's unusual for those things to align where somebody actually builds a sustainable business and pays their bills on time and can actually fulfill orders in a timely fashion and all that sort of stuff and build boards. So it's fortunate that you've partnered with somebody who's actually in your bloodline that can help fill some of that that deficit, you know? Yeah, totally. It, it was funny. I I really it got to the point I thought, well, it didn't work for me having my own label and much as water pistols was a cool thing and everyone always loved the boards, it was it just didn't work. So I'd 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 resigned myself to that and I, it was no matter. Yeah. But then it was funny that it did turn out to be my own son was the guy I needed all those times over the years and that, that's a good feeling too to have him there and all those type of things that I'm not so good at, he's really good at, really yeah. good and, and a lot more organised than me and he's got endless drive. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it appears to be working well. We're still, you know, we're still pushing. It's sure. still hard, and we're working long hours, and and um, <clears throat> everything doesn't always ha definitely hasn't always been going right for us. But it's um, we get over, you know, cross that, you know, overcome that problem and move on to the next thing, and everything's been onward and upward. So, what do you, what do each of you view as a threat to your business currently? Do you want to go first or me? Oh, you can go first. Um, I think the biggest threat in the surfing industry is all of these cheap made boards. So there's people undercutting each other and getting, like, I've got no problem with boards produced overseas as long as they're at a high quality and a high standard. It's just a lot of these companies that have been doing it use shitty quality materials, people that don't know what they're doing with the boards and they can produce boards at such a cheap rate. And the general punter out there thinks, oh, why is this board 500 when, you know, these other top quality ones are 800, 900, 1,000. I could get two for the price of one, but it's a false economy because they'll buy one of those boards for $500 and it'll last half the length, the half the time of one of the decent boards. And not only that, it'll perform shit. So it's kind of like, yeah, I, it gets me a bit wound up just thinking these people have just destroyed this whole market, certain part of the market. And yeah, it sort of makes it hard for people who are trying to run a proper business with all these people undercutting. Yep. And by the way, even your properly priced boards at $800 or so is still underpriced. Like that still doesn't leave a lot of margin to really grow the business and reinvest in the business, you know? Everybody needs to raise prices. Yeah, that's, really. that's one big thing that I see is that, you know, like dad, we were talking about it yesterday and that, you know, it is, it's probably gonna take, you know, a lot of these older shapers are getting older and not as many people are coming through and it's yeah. going to come to a stage where yeah if you want something done quality by someone who knows what they're doing you're going to have to pay a premium because there's going to be no one to fill the gaps if you want something made in 
China by a Chinese lady who's never seen the beach, or you want something done legitimately properly, then you're gonna have to pay a higher price, and yeah. it'll come to that eventually. Yeah. Stuart, any any concerns for your business? You've been at it, and you've been on different sides of it for a while. What's the current threat? Um, a little bit, a little bit like Ryan said. Then, and it, it is unfortunate. There was a, there are some shapers out there who I used to consider like my peers and uh, like really good shapers over the years. But I can appreciate their side that you know they've got to eat. And quite often they've sold out to these chain bulk, bulk stores and just given their models and off they've gone. And so all their boards are getting sold cheaply too. So then the, the public goes, oh, well, that guy's been shaping for years. So I can go and get one of his for, um, you know, for this cheap price. That's one of the things. But sort of on the, I suppose you took, we're talking about threats, but that's really my only worry. It's, you know, it's, it's probably... We've got a really good story at Water Pistols, our, our past and history, and it's something that does really have some some backbone to it. And because I I basically, I was always the quieter guy. I didn't say much. I always hoped my product would, would speak for itself, whereas there were all these other shapers around me getting out there going, yeah, I'm great, I'm the best, and, and sponsoring all guys everywhere, and they had the backing to do that, and I, I sat there and watched them go up and elevate and become really well-known. And then despite my experience and years doing it, a lot of people don't know our water pistol story, so one of the biggest challenges is trying to work out this modern... the tech age and getting everything out and how you do get it out to people and it's we've got all the this like i say this amazing core story there it's just we're working at the moment on getting it out to the people so that they'll they'll see for themselves and go well these guys have been doing it for ages that's yeah. cool father and son both ex-pro surfers you know both the guys been shaping since he was 12 you know we just got a We've got evidence of all that. We've got all the photos and stories and different things, but it's just a matter of the challenge is working the way of getting it out, out yep. there to the general people. And that's where things like this help us, sure. you know, which is thank you very much. Yeah, I gladly. appreciate it. Thanks to Visla. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious how often you ride other shapers' surfboards. Um, pretty much never. Really? Yeah. Since I was 12, I reckon I've had five or six surfs on other guys' boards. Crazy. Yeah. Do you not see value in it? No, I don't know. I just, I make my boards, our, our boards, our, even our performance boards have got a few fundamental differences to what everyone else is riding. I let Ryan do it. He's done it, like I say, he when he was competing, he'd be quite often overseas and someone, one of the others, Know, big name shapers would be there going, oh, I'll give you a board, Ryan, I'll give you a board. And yeah. I'd go, mate, take it. You know, they're giving you a board. He'd take them and he'd ride them. So through me, I don't need to ride them myself sort of thing. I can have Ryan's, Ryan's feedback is enough on that side of things. And I just love working on my own boards. And like I say, they are different. So, And you, you tend to get to a stage with shaping where once you've mastered the tool use and everything, I could I can make boards any way I want. You know, I could make boards exactly the same as Al Merrick makes them, or 
you know, JS or whoever, but I don't want to. I've got my way. I like making them. My my designs and ideas and what Ryan and I have worked on and what we found, got, you know, we really like and uh, plenty of other people like. So, yeah, I just produce them and, um, yeah, basically that's just it. Yeah, that you know, makes sense. Yeah. 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 Final question for each of you is what was the last surfboard that you rode? Of our own or? Just the last board you rode, period. And where and what conditions and all that? Um, um, the other day out here at Manly and average conditions in the surfish aper thing. I didn't bring one of our small waivers, which I probably should have, but I bought, I bought my model. It's known as the Mobility Scooter GT. <laughs> and it's for the older guy who still likes to get a few turns done with it around, but maybe not surfing as often, so it's at a little, little more volume. But for the smaller waves, I didn't expect it to be as sort of quite so small. So yeah. I ideally should have had one of our more small wave boards, but, but that was mine, was, yeah. Ability scooter GT. Who surfed in that heat with you? Ryan. Oh, okay. I was the shaper and he surfed a team. How'd you guys go? Yeah, Ryan went well. <laughs> I got caught in the rip a little bit. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, the rip started up when Dad was out. I went out first and I got I got a little left and a little right and I think I got like two sixes and then it was Dad's turn and he kind of got stuck in the rip and the rip was, it was almost like a stationary wave. It was yeah. ripping out pretty hard. What'd you ride, Ryan? I rode uh, one of our models called the Toe. So it's based off, we've got another model, which is more of a high performance model called the Campbell Toe, which is one that me and dad sort of worked on for about 10 years when I was competing. It was my go-to standard high performance shortboard. And so it's a little bit shorter, this one, a little bit wider, a little bit flatter, a little bit more area for sort of a bit of a more sort of mushier, sort of your everyday board from two foot to five foot, so I'll write that. Cool, awesome. Well, thank you both very much for sharing your story. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us, it was awesome. You're welcome. And that concludes The Shaper Shack, part four. I hope that you enjoyed this series. I really enjoyed going back and listening um, to these again and kind of reliving that epic, epic trip. So thanks to Visla for making this all happen. Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com to link to all of these shapers' uh, websites and social media and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've been following their work in the years since we recorded these conversations, maintained some of the friendships. So, um, yeah, great to revisit this. Thanks to everybody who participated, all the shapers, the photographers, all that sort of stuff. All right. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. We will be back next week with all new episodes of Spit and the Grit and Surf Splendor. So looking forward to getting back into our normal routine over there. And I hope that you're doing well. So this is David Scales signing off for Surf Splendor with a gentle reminder to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and as always, shred on.